This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, I'm Chris Hansen. I am Chief Product Officer at Ignition One. And what I love is building stuff. Honestly, I love uh, working on products. That sounds really strange because who likes that? But uh, I'm a failed architecture student and it's my way of figuring out how to take my failures in life and putting it to good use. So I build stuff, just not buildings. In many circumstances, marketing can be a one-sided conversation. But when personalization comes into play, it's crucial that the conversation has two sides. Coming up, Ignition One's chief product officer shares how the way you approach the market can have a dramatic effect on success of breaking through politics of CMO decisions. Why marketing and tech have to be able to understand one another. The many ways data can be used to focus on the entire customer journey beyond simple conversion why overseeing product often involves compromise, and when sharing a name with a famous person gets interesting. All this recorded on location at the 2018 Ignition One Summit. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location. Here are your hosts... Chris, welcome to the show. We're, we're very glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. All right. And uh, hello to Pub and Ball. Oh, hey, bud. And I'm Mark Rako. Uh, thanks for joining us. Okay. Let's lead off with this question, Chris. Uh, why is personalization of in marketing, why does that create a conversation? I think most marketing these days is one-sided. So... It's at least an attempt in our space to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, are you going to have a real conversation? Is it, is it going to be continuous? Is it, it going to be impactful? Maybe not, but at least it's an attempt for a brand potentially to reach somebody thinking about them. It's like if you're having a conversation, you want to know who you're having the conversation with. You want to understand them. Um, if you understand them, you're going to have a great conversation. If you have no idea what they do, who they are, what they're about, it's going to make the conversation really awkward. And I think most marketing right now is pretty awkward because it's one-sided. Is it because all. it's just push, 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 and it's one, it's one message to masses? Or yeah. what are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, especially in digital, although I don't think it's specifically a digital conundrum, um, it's... I think it has been push, push, push. Yeah. Um, and I don't think personalization changes that. You're still pushing. It's what you're pushing. It's, right. it's at least some sort of tacit acknowledgement that you know the person and you are speaking to them as if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just thinking about uh, um, uh, podcasting, um, thinking about the types of advertising I hear when I'm listening to a podcast I get excited because the person who's doing the podcast, maybe doing the commercial, maybe having sort of a native um, mm-hmm. uh, conversation about the brand that they're talking about. Sure. 
Like well, that's not, why it works, really. Yeah, it might not be real, but there's a sense of reality. It's a sense yeah. that you know that person, you understand the person doing the podcast. Yeah. There's trust. And there's trust. Um, and I think most marketers miss that in digital. Yeah. Um, and then personalization, I think, is an attempt to do that. You know, it's interesting because just speaking of podcasting, I think one of the reasons that podcasting can be successful is the intimate nature of it. It feels like you're, if it's done right, you're part of the conversation. And if it's not a conversation, if it's, say, a documentary style, you still feel like you're being talked to. Yeah. Um, so when a host is talking about a product or service and they're doing it in that testimonial way, it feels like they're sharing something with us. Yeah. We're in on something. Yeah. And that there's that personalization and, and so forth. Well, I mean, I think just as a kid growing up in the New York area, I, I mean, where'd I'm you in, grow up? I grew up in Westchester. The best Chester. No, I grew up in the, the bad part of the Westchester. Sh- the shittiest Chester. The, 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 like, whenever I say I grew up in Westchester, people are like, oh, that's really nice. Bronxville, Scarsdale, White Plains. I'm like, no, the bad part. There's like, there is no bad part. And then I say Mount Vernon. They go, yeah. oh. oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next to, uh, no, it was great. I have a lot of friends that grew up in Mount Vernon, Pelham area. Yeah, Mount Vernon, yeah. Yeah. Mount yeah. Vernon represent. You guys are great at basketball. Great at basketball. Um, yeah, some NBA lots players of, coming out of there. <laughs> my, my knowledge of hip-hop is deep and, oh, uh, no. and wide. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I mean, I, I love growing up there. It's yeah. a great place to grow up. But, you know, growing up in the New York City area, I, from early 80s, I was listening to Howard Stern. Um, and still listen to Howard Stern and, yeah. and you know, now. Um, probably the best example, at least for me, of early, at least from a radio and audio perspective of personalization, he said the ads and he said them as if he was a user of that product. And as a kid, I got to know those products Mm -hmm. and I got to think about them as something that, oh, well, this is something that Howard likes, so I must, I'll probably like it. Sure. And you know, here's the thing with something like that, let's use Howard Stern as an example. Howard said, has said plenty of things he doesn't like, and mm-hmm. he's very outspoken about it. So when he says something that he, he does. does like, it's not just part of the white noise. I like everything. Here's yeah. just another thing I like. This is, wait, <clears throat> listen to me about this thing. Well, and that's the trust part. So, so let's take a step back and talk about Ignition One, the product uh, that we're talking about, which is kind of tailoring, uh, I guess, customized messaging to different audience sets. Um, why don't we walk through that part of your product? Sure. So the, the central concept around our platform is understanding a marketer's customer's data, which always in marketing terms is a marketer's challenging. Customer's a data. marketer's customer's data. Not a customer's, a yeah. marketing customer's data. Yeah. So the marketers are our customer, and we're trying to understand our, the marketers that we work with, their customer's data. Um, we're trying to centralize that data. We're trying to understand the customers value each one of those customers. Um, and that sounds like, oh, of course, you know, you're going to value the data. But really on a, on a per customer basis from digital signals, understand what it is about that marketer's customer that is interesting to them. That could be someone who is a prospect, someone they don't know, someone that they have to drive awareness to, let them understand the brand. That could be someone who has shown some sort of engagement with the brand, um, you know, surfed around their site, uh, looked at products, uh, looked at a shirt if they're a retailer, um, or a customer, or an actual customer, somebody who bought from them. Um, so someone who, you know, you might want to think about that person from a loyalty perspective or retention perspective. So understanding that, and then with that understanding, engage. 
And it's not engaged like I'm going to serve you the same ad if you're a customer that I'm going to serve to a prospect. It's how do I understand the data that I have around that, that particular customer or prospect and deliver the right message to them. Now, is this all first-person data we're talking about, or this can be cookies and, you know... It could be, yeah. It's it's so, you know, in digital, it could be cookies. Mm-hmm. It could be some sort of ID that you get from... Um, from web traffic. From web or, traffic, yeah. from from an, from an application. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the means of collecting that data, important but less important than what the data is and understanding those data sets. And that's what we try and help them do. And it's not just so is that, craft a message to a specific person or or profile a person. Correct. So what marketers would argue that they do is they do the data collection. Mm-hmm. They do the audience building off of that. Um, and most marketers do some form of that. I would argue, probably a very uh, rudimentary, a sophomoric version of that. But they but they do do something. The last mile of that is okay. Now that I'm going to engage with you. How do I do it? Which channels? Because it could be a podcast. It could be a banner ad. It could be an email. And then depending on that channel, how do I make sure that that message fits? And, and not only the message fits, but how do I make sure that when I address you in email, because it's a different mm-hmm. channel, it's like when email is a very sort of personalized channel. So how do I make sure that the message there fits that channel versus a banner ad maybe on, a, on yeah. New York Times? How much of this is tech-enabled and how much of this is consulting um, through, you know, your team? Yeah. And it, it's a great question. I, you know, as much as I'm the product guy and I'd love to say it's all tech, yeah. the product does all of it, uh, there's people behind this. Um, and people behind it in the sense of if you're doing messaging well, if you're doing uh, broadly creative well, creative is not something that you can really sort of throw some AI or machine learning at, and mm-hmm. yeah, nailed it. Um, you need people. Yeah. Um, so it's part people, a large part people, um, just making sure that the strategy is there, making sure that the creative is there, making sure that um, understanding of that brand and the different channels that they use is there. Yeah. And then using the tech to support that. So it's, I think you use the term tech-enabled. Tech-enabled is key. It's You want to use the technology to do the things that humans can't do well, quickly, rapidly, um, and doing anything in real time, people don't do that well. So using the tech to do that. Makes it quick. Yeah. So you're chief product officer. That means you build stuff. Uh, so let's talk about, we could talk about the past, like when Ignition One, using Ignition mm-hmm. One as an example, has said, this needs to be built. This needs to be built. Whether it's new features, new platform, putting a new initiative in motion, whatever it is. But also as you go forward, how will you know when it's time to build something new in a, in a very sort of global general sense? And the reason I ask the question is if someone's listening to this interview and trying to have a takeaway of how can they apply this conversation to their business, how can from a chief product officer of uh, advertising and marketing platform that's focused on customer intelligence, how do you... How do you know when you're supposed to be building something for your company, particularly from a tech standpoint? Yeah. And, and I know that's a weird general question. I'm giving it to you to just answer in any way that makes sense to you. Yeah, I actually don't think it's a weird question. And it sounds awesome. like a mouthful when you describe it. So uh, I think we have to maybe work That's not on unusual for me. Narrowing so. our, our messaging. <laughs> um, 
I feel like I had this conversation yesterday with my product team and, and I almost feel like now I need to correct and say, I don't build stuff. People build stuff yeah. that it's the architect doesn't build the contractor builds and I design. So maybe I should not take credit for building. Um, nor, I'm yep. sure our development team would, would hate well, you're the that. officer. So you, get, you're, you're, <laughs> I get know, credit. Your military get, goes and does the yeah. fighting. You know, you. Just I get credit and blame most That's times. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's tough because I, you know we try and listen to, and I spend a lot of time in the offices of marketers. So I am, I, I am, I'm trying to listen to the customers and understand what their pain points are. I'm trying to understand whether or not something is real, there's a technological solution for it, whether it's something that we need to even think about. Like maybe it's a, way, a different way of approaching um, a solution. Maybe it is a service. Maybe you don't need technology to do it. Um, so I think as a company, we do have the service piece, which helps. Because sometimes the service will be enough. Not even enough. Maybe it's the right solution for it. Productizing everything doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and there's... I almost have a different grades of things. There's something we can provide as a service. There's something we can productize and there's something that we can put in the product and productize and in the product are two different things. So productized is I can create something, a way of doing something that seems product like, but it's not, I don't have to build it. I don't have to design it. Mm -hmm. It's just something we can do. The service is like, we'll just handle it. Somebody, a human will handle it. Mm -hmm. And then putting it into the product those are the decisions we don't take lightly. Those are the ones we have to think about. Like, is this the right thing to do? Is it going to have serve a large base of the marketers that we work with? Is it going to provide value to us, to the marketer, um, to that broad set of users? And, and those are the things that end up in the roadmap and end up being designed, end up going to the development team to produce. And um, so I look at it as those three categories. And in many cases, we'll just productize something. And that could be in the sense of like specifically around personalization. It's that combination of service, the creative, and the tech enablement, not fully product. It's really productized. It's the combination of those two things that's productized. And so you can deliver it rapidly and you can deliver it at scale, but you don't have to build it. You don't have to build it as a discrete product. Generally, like, so when we're talking about personalization, though, it's not it's not one on one. It can't be right. You can't have 30,000 or 100,000 or even two, three million different ways to communicate with somebody or, or word plays. So how many different kind of profiles are you building on average for your clients? So right now, I would agree with you. I think it's challenging to do true one on one marketing, true personalized marketing. Um, and in fact, I would say in our platform, we build audiences that you know are based on the customer data that we collect and and all the you know different enrichment and enhancement that we do to that data um it depends on the customer i mean you could have customers that'll have thousands of audiences mm -hmm. and you'll have customers that'll have four right and, and i'm not saying one is better than the other frankly For sure. you could have one that's four and it's perfectly fine and you're going to get a lot of value out of it um so right now, I would say it runs the gamut depending on the marketer, their objectives. If it's mm -hmm. performance-based, you might have few. If it's like trying to reach different audiences with a, different messaging, strive awareness. Now, this is a combination more. between creative and messaging? Correct. Yeah. So our platform supports both. Right. You know, the audience building is the core component of it. The understanding of customers is the core component. But the personalization piece, the creative piece, 
tying that together is okay. where it all I'm going to throw something powerful. out at you. All right. The first time I ever came across targeted marketing like this or just kind of bespoke or personalized marketing mm-hmm. or messaging is through Cambridge Analytica. Now, not in their political. So politics yeah. aside, right? Um, they had come to us. Uh, so before Mouth Media, we were a consulting and biz dev firm called Open Source Fashion. And we worked primarily in the retail space. Yep. They had one of their biz dev head of retail um, come into us August before the election. And they said, look, we're looking to expand into new markets because we're not sure if we're going to have a business after October. Right. So they identified retail as a, uh, a perfect targeted uh, industry that is prime for messaging yep. appropriation. And so they walked me through this and I said, this is absolutely brilliant. Right. It makes complete yeah. sense. But now fast forward, when you talk about this stuff, because of yeah. now their kind of the path that kind of unfolded with Cambridge in the political yeah. sphere, um, have you had blowback on this type of stuff? Because, of course, the what they had done with aggregating the data was inappropriate and, yeah. and then how they leveraged the solutions were also inappropriate. Yeah. So but that's not the case here, nor am I suggesting that. But how did that sentiment kind of sit or do people even know that it's the same sort of technology well i, I think people will generally lump concepts together for oh, sure i'm doing audience targeting or i'm doing right like data targeting oh, and that's why i keep saying spheres right yeah. like i'm almost conditioned to cambridge having personality spheres yeah. or profile yeah. spheres well yeah and I, was there blowback maybe i think uh, some marketers question some of the practices around targeting and digital but broadly yeah you know targeting how do you show um, transparency in this then well I, I so i think the way that we address it well is through the use of first party data so it's the customer's sure. yeah, own so it's the marketer's own data that we're using yeah. and that data is not personally identifiable mm-hmm. it's not something that like i think the the industry as a whole has been very good at at policing itself and when you're using first-party data, it doesn't matter. It doesn't like it, it's as if you're uh, in an uh, you're email in someone's file. house. You're in yeah. you're, you you have a, a a database of your customers. Agreed. It's 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 real. It's marketing. It's marketing as it's been since the inception. One on one. So it's that as opposed to oh, I'm gonna process all these different data points and and bring them together in a way that. In some yeah, ways, for sure. Is but once you start talking about third party, then it's like it gets a little murky because of that only. Agreed. I wonder how did GDPR work for you guys? <laughs> Holy. F- so, GDPR is a uh, it's like follow the bouncing ball. Well, because most of your clients are multinationals, right? Most They're, of them are multinational. Like, yeah. We have a big presence in Europe. I'd say you know, um, some of the largest clients we work with uh, have very significant presence in Europe. Some of the large automotive clients we work yeah. with are. Uh, Global, but pan-European specifically. Uh, so it, it was one of those things where you had to almost divine what the EU was trying to, 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 to do, do there. Yeah. And even, even the, some of the bigger players, the, the, one of the biggest players in, in, in digital and marketing and, and in general and technology, um, they were coming to us the day before and saying, oh, by the way, here's a bunch of things you have to do. It's like... It's the twenty yeah. fourth of May, and it's twenty fifth. Yeah. And you're like, "Wow, I, wow. Yeah. you guys didn't figure this out." So, you know, there was I, no way to head, keep ahead of that one. Correct, because yeah. and and still now, there's 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 definitely going to be changes. We nobody knows what they are. 
Um, so what it forced us to do was to go back and uh, to put some things in place that were painful, but not overly painful. Yeah. Not something that, you know, um, uh, conceptually were, were, were wrong. It was like, oh, you got to put a little more security on this. You have to, you know, really think about the way you collect data, specifically in Europe, but it's going to carry over to the U.S. Yeah. It does. For the Europe, it for wasn't the retroactive, clients. though. No, right? no, no, no. It but was, it was, it's just going forward. Going forward. Got so it. we had to put a bunch of, um, uh, you know, the way we collect data, how we store data, um, uh, policies and, and, and internal procedures around data. Um, those are things we had to do. Was Nothing bad. Like, no, it's painful. Be, like, it was painful, sure, but like, did you look at it as like, oh, this is a fun challenge when so, you're walking into work? Or you're well, like, it was funny you? is I had one person on my product team. It was maybe like mid-May, and the GDPR went into effect, I think May 25th, if I remember correctly. I should know that because mm-hmm. it was a date that we were running towards for so long. Yeah. And one of my product people, like May 15th, was like, I should love GDPR. That's insane. Don't yeah. ever say that again, verbally, <laughs> to anybody. But it was one of those things, I think, from a product perspective, it yeah. forced you to think about how to address something that was challenging. Yeah. And I think any good product person Wants likes that. that challenge. They love that. I mean, I would say I didn't like the ambiguity of it, and I still don't. Yeah. So that's just the way I'm wired. Sure. I always joke around. I only like working with Libras because I'm a Libra, and I like things like <laughs> black or white. I don't like things gray. But you know, the reality is it's a great challenge to come up with, and it's all positive. There's nothing bad about figuring out how to make data more secure, sure. how to figuring out how to make uh, policies more robust. And so I don't look at it as bad. It, it just... It just was a painful exercise to go through. Listen, if if only we did that with our food supply chain right. as well. There's as a lot of things that we should do. We'll be all right. Too. Specifically in the oh, U.S., right. it would be great to, to to work on a few things. All GDPR stands for is going down product rabbit holes. Yes, <laughs> I like that. There I think. You go. All right. So, coming up, you'll hear Chris. Uh, touch on the experience part of personalization and what it means to design products to make sure that can be accomplished. Uh, More in just a minute right here on location at the Ignition One Summit in New York City. We'll be right back. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. Chris, uh, let's kind of circle back to the idea of personalization, but less from the, the data side, maybe. 
even though data has something to do with it, and more to the actual experience side. Can can you touch on the way the thinking is done in terms of trying to think about the experience the consumer is going to have mm-hmm. in the way that the marketing is done to make it personalized and while thinking about the data that can be gleaned from that? So it can be a challenge now with designing that because it's hard to figure out how the, the end the customer, the end customer, the person who's going to see an advertisement, who's going to get a message put in front of them. It's really hard to understand per channel how they would interact with that message. And, mm. and so... Sure, because part of the process is you're both, you're both trying to get to know them. Yep. While at the same time, you need to know something about them in order to do it right. So it's a... Well, is well, it a chicken and egg a little bit? Well, there's a little bit of that, but it's more in terms of... And, and I know it sounds like, well, we should be able to figure that out, but, but it's been hard. There's, there's so many intermediaries between the actual message and then the technology that can deliver it. And what I mean by that is there could be a creative agency that's working with a marketer. The marketer themselves, they might have brand guidelines. They might have ways in which they need to approach the market. They might have creative people in-house. They might have... That might. It's usually... Well, they do. Yeah, you're usually. absolutely yeah. right. You're Actually, being very nice, Chris. I am being very nice, especially when you deal with... Um, and, and it only shocks me. Like The brands that you would think are the most brand-safe the most brand sensitive are the ones that tend to be the most liberal with respect to these things. The ones, the brands that you would not expect to be very concerned about the way that they position in front of the, the end customer yeah. are the ones that we have, have to, to worry that. about. So you never, you never know what you're going to get. And then again, agencies and intermediaries or agents in between who have, um, you know, they make their money off of this stuff. So yeah. they don't want the technology to drive that. They want to show their creativity through design. And so I'm not saying any of those things are a bad thing. For us, it's figuring out how to marry those two together. That's been the challenge. How do you convince a creative person at an agency who's working with a marketer that you can help tech enable what they're doing to create personalized ads? They don't want to hear that. They want to do something really cool, impactful. They don't want to hear about personalization. They want to hear about technology. They want to do what they do. Because they're the ones to, to drive the message or create the message. Correct. And For so sure. you get this rub. So that ultimately is the biggest challenge. Do you is, find that that challenge is being appeased by companies building internal like content studios? Uh, you know, possibly. We're seeing a huge wave that way, right? Possibly. I think that's actually maybe a way in which technology can be um, embraced less than having some intermediary. Like if you're doing content studios, and look, I think social is a way in which people have understood they have to give up their brand a little bit, that they have to be less restrictive, that there is this concept that the people that consume the brand, understand the brand, are the ones that are gonna drive um, that brand message. So maybe that's helping. I, I feel like we're going in the right direction, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a product person, that's really challenging. Because we have to, we can create the technology, we can create the capability to do it, but then you then have to sell it in, not to the marketer, but to the people who work for or at the marketer who understand the On the brand brand level. On the brand level. You know, it makes me think of of the the identity crisis that a lot of companies have these days. Are you a travel company or are you a technology company? Are you a marketing company or are you a, a technology company or are you a data company or are you all of them? You know, and... And the reason I bring that up is trying to 
get you, the other parties involved in the process to um, to think of you in a way that aligns with what they're trying to do can be a challenge if they're thinking that your identity is you're a data company, you don't understand creative or, mm-hmm. you know, but Correct. while you're thinking of yourself in that situation as really a marketing company, let's say, yep. that has a technology or data backbone. Yeah. Well, I, that's a great point and something that I would say we at some point misunderstood. We used to be positioned sort of as an advertising technology company and to some extent we still are. Where we moved to is more of a sort of marketing technology company. And that might seem like semantics, but it's not. I think most people look at marketing technology as being mildly more strategic. And just that classification, you can have a different conversation with a marketer. Gotcha. When you go into a CMO and you're saying, I understand marketing technology, they go, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. If you go into a CMO and you're still talking about advertising technology, they're like, well, my, my person who handles this particular channel understands that. And it's weird that even just classification, the way you approach the market from, from our perspective, can have a dramatic effect on whether or not we're successful breaking through the politics of you know CMO level decisions, or whether you're you're sort of relegated to having conversations with the tacticians. Is success mostly um, like is the main KPI for success conversion? So for a lot of digital marketers and a lot of marketers we deal with, yeah, yeah it's some sort of performance going to some sort of. You know, is there a way that you could directly relate the conversion uptick, uh, assuming that there is, yeah. um, in, in, to your solution? Or is it just more of a, like a holistic thing that's happening? It's, it's the, and I've said this for years, it's the, the, the best thing about digital is you can track everything. The worst thing about digital is you can so track you everything. Track yeah. So, you know, the tracking can sometimes throw off the reality of what is happening. So if you're just tracking the lower funnel performance piece, yeah. but you don't look to awareness and, 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 and driving down the funnel and customer journeys, and I'm, I'm, I don't use those terms liberally. I, I, yeah. I, I actually very considered in, in terms of using them. What we want to do is we want to focus on the true customer journey, driving awareness, potentially moving them down the funnel, not always, but potentially moving down the funnel and getting conversion. And then most funnels end a conversion. Yeah. And then it's the, the retention piece and the loyalty piece that I, I think we can do a really good job of, of, of helping a marketer realize. And most don't. I, I think most marketers look at it as, I have a KPI, it's to get a conversion, I stop. But how do you take the data that we collect on their behalf, speak to a customer in a personalized fashion because we know a lot about them and help them create loyalty. Chris, quick pivot before we go to, uh, uh, it, it's quite a busy conference back here. You can hear the, the fervor building in the background. I think people are drinking now. Well, so we're drinking. Drinking. Uh, we, we are drinking. We've been Let, drinking the whole time. Let's be clear so. here. You know, drinking. it's great too, by the way. We, so, so for so many uh, uh, podcast episodes over the years, Pavan, we used to have the opportunity to have a little drink? drink, and we just don't do that Actually, often so enough Chris, anymore. Every, so we, uh, we've had this podcast, Fashion Is Your Business, for about four years now. The first two years of the show, or at least year and a half solid, we recorded in studio at night, and it was literally like always alcohol was on the table. Food and alcohol. It's the great the equalizer. It makes this a lot easier, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> it is. All right. Uh, so my, my pivot question is um, just circling back a little bit to the identity crisis, if you will. And, and is it marketing? Is it technology? Is it, is it uh, uh, data? Is it this? Is it, 
How do you, how large a company is Ignition One? How many employees about would you say there are? Uh, three hundred and fifty okay. employees globally. So uh, we have about fifteen offices globally. Awesome. So and the New so, York offices, very cool. Oh yeah. So I visited. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So across fifteen <laughs> offices, across three hundred and fifty employees globally. How do you make sure to keep the story straight? Okay, I know you're not in charge of the the whole, every person in the whole company, but you're you're certainly an important cog in the messaging and the communication of initiatives and and priorities. Certainly with your team. So my question is, how do you make sure to keep that identity straight so that the people in data and the people in product and the people in creative and the people in this and the people in that are all on the same page in terms of who you are? And I know that for everyone's individual sales calls and meetings and so in relationships, that flavor needs to change a little bit from, from, uh, because of what they do. But you still have to be a part of the same story. So how are you thinking about that and communicating that within a company of this size and, and mission? It's, it's a great question. And it's almost as if you have been in our offices listening to conversations I've had. Um, it's a challenge. While I'm not, you know, my LinkedIn profile wouldn't say I'm responsible for that. I'm pretty responsible for that. Right. So as the as the lead product person, you know, I have to drive the strategy, the go to market. Um, you know, I have to enable the teams to, to tell the story. Um, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult. It, it's hard enough to educate the outward facing sales folks, client facing folks. That, that's challenging. Driving it down through the product organization, the technology organization, that's a bigger challenge yeah. because product and development folks are, are unique. They're, they're, they tend to be uh, skeptical. They tend to be very like results-oriented. And so they want to know, like, oh, I'm working on this. What's the impact? How are marketers using this? How is this being understood? And, and the gap between them and a conversation with a marketer is huge. So I'd imagine internally there are always efforts to make sure that the, uh, the data people are understanding what the marketers are yeah. up to and trying to hear from them, which I know can be challenging. And, and the other thing, too, is the different people within those departments communicate with different personalities and type of communication styles. Yeah, and, and extend that out to in different markets, we deal with different types of customers. In different markets, there are different concepts around digital marketing, capabilities, things that we can do in the U.S. we can't do in Germany. So there's that translation that happens, not of language, not of culture, but just of in Germany, this is acceptable. Yeah. In the U.S., this is acceptable. And so you have to do that translation as well. And that becomes a surprisingly big challenge because if you're communicating broadly to the company of 350 people globally that, hey, we're doing X, Y, and Z, but Z can't be done in Germany because of some restriction in German law, that becomes challenging. So when you're doing data, when you're dealing with um, personalization, when you're dealing with marketing, those things become bigger than you'd like them to be. You have to address them. You have to, as best you can, um, maybe potentially go back to lowest common denominator or least yeah. common denominator, which isn't great. It's a bit of a compromise, yeah. but, you, but you do it. And 
We're always trying to strike that balance. Well, Again, as, as the Libra, I'm trying to balance things, so I, I, I try to balance those things. I would say even in the, the tech product that you're rolling out, you probably have to balance or curb some of the things that you want to do because there's a creepy cool factor that that tipping point is real. Yeah. And what you're doing could... It, it needs to resonate. So, like right now, we're in a culture of on-demand. We're on a culture of I, I want my product. I want my products customized. So my sneakers to my to my handbags or whatever it might be. So you have that kind of shift working for you. Yep. That okay. I also want my advertising and I want my messaging tailored. But there is like that tipping point where it gets a little bit weird, you know and. And I think you almost have to like ride that wave of culture and sentiment um, yeah. to make sure that you're on the right side of it. Yeah, I feel like as as a, a product person, but definitely a head of product, your job mm -hmm. is to compromise. Yeah, in, in, for in sure. so many ways, in terms of what you want to get into the product, when you yeah. want to get it in, the needs of an individual marketer versus the needs of the broader customer base, marketers in general, and definitely in terms of, I think this is really cool and I want to do it. And then, like, eh, maybe the market doesn't agree with me. Yeah. And so, just because I think it's cool, and just because I want to push it, and just because my product team wants to do it, doesn't mean it's right. And so you need that sort of compromise. The market, I talk to a lot of marketers. I am in a lot of offices around the U.S., but around the world, where I'm talking to the marketer themselves. So for me, I don't have multiple degrees of separation from what the marketers want to what we can do. I hear them, I hear their challenges, and I go, uh, I think we can address that. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, but it's, it's always with balance. Yeah. Hashtag every company in the world. Hashtag every, probably a hashtag <laughs> every role in the world. That's probably uh, really. Company in the world. A, all right, uh, that, that's a perfect moment for us uh, to think about what's coming up next. And that is going to be, of course, off the grid questions when we return with Chris Hansen of Ignition One at the Ignition One Summit in New York City. And we'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer with the American Enough Podcast. And just wanted to thank all of you for listening and tuning in week after week. And this has been an incredible journey and examination of who America really is against the, the headwinds of our modern times. If you are interested in the perspectives of mayors and how the identity of their cities is changing America's fabric or how our foreign policy is changing the way that CIA agents do their business or even how those brave enough to come forward and, and stake a claim in the Time's Up or the Me Too movement, how their identities have, have been changed by speaking out so publicly, uh, or even if you're just interested in how Netflix documentarians are viewing the world and using satire and entertainment to cope with our current times. There is something for everybody across this channel, and uh, we hope that you continue to subscribe and like wherever you pod. American Enough can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Um, and if you have any feedback or would like to, or have any ideas for more great show, um, you know, never hesitate to, to email Vikram at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com or tweet at us at our uh, at Vikram Iyer on Twitter. And uh, please keep spreading the word. This is not over anytime soon. All right, it is time for uh, what arguably may be our favorite part of the show, and that is... And now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid, which fashion is your business? 
That's right, off the grid questions where we ask questions, frankly, a little off the grid, a little more personal in nature. Uh, we have absolutely no idea what Pavan and I are going to ask, and we certainly don't know the order we're going to ask it. As you know, if you listen to the show, we solve that with a spin of our beautiful, grand old Wheel of Grid Destiny, which we have actually brought into Brooklyn from Manhattan. Mm. It wasn't a long trip, but it was a difficult trip. It is impressive. It's a, it's a big <laughs> wheel. So um, we're going to give that wheel a spin, figure out the order of questions. Here we go. It's turning, it's turning, and it has landed on uh, Pavin. Sure. Uh, what I mean, a, sure, it wasn't I mean, decided by you. It was the wheel, no, obviously. it was the wheel, but right. it probably has something to do with the fact that you were on your phone at the moment, which... Just texting the wife, no big deal. No, no, but, but I am very good, present. Good to see you fully <laughs> So, you, know, you, you mentioned you grew up in uh, Mount Vernon area. Uh, you work now in Manhattan. Uh, similarly, I, you know, I grew up in Queens and Long Island, and now I'm in Manhattan. Uh, if you were to live somewhere else in the world, any other city in the world, like when you kind of envision that, uh, where would it be and why? So I, uh, I lived after college in Japan. Um, what brought you out there? Uh, teaching English. Great. Was, the was it a Teach America type of thing? Uh, it was a program called the JET program. Yeah. J-E-T. Uh, great program. Uh, you know, in the mid, let's just say the mid nineties. Yeah. You, um, you must have had a huge apartment out there. Oh uh, yeah. I was, I was rocking it. I was in the <laughs> middle of the country. I, yeah. I was like, like, when people think Japan, they think Osaka and Tokyo and I was yeah. nowhere near any of those. Okay. But I, w- I would probably say Tokyo cause there's, there's really almost not a more, um, comfortable place you can live. And I've been all over the world, uh, but I, there's not a more comfortable Define comfortable, by the way. Um, safe, um, uh, fun, uh, great food, uh, ease, ease of life. I mean, at least as a foreigner in Japan, I'm sure it's different for a Japanese person. But uh, I, I, I can see that, even to this day, I can see that culture really um, speaking to me, living there, and, and maybe having my kids be there for a few years would be great. Other than that, we have a great office in Brussels, and I would say Brussels is one of those places I've really grown to love. Nice. All right, uh, another spin of the wheel. It goes round and round it goes, round and round it goes, and who could it land on? It's me. Uh, okay. Um, for some reason, we keep doing that joke, and it just, just you know, never, never gets old. Uh, Chris, uh, you went to college, I'm assuming. Arguably. Arguably. So uh, Physically. Look, Physically went to college. <laughs> look, looking back through the haze. I did college. say I failed out of architecture. Mm. Okay, there you go. Looking back at, uh, at your college days through the, the haze, uh, can, you, can you recall a, a kind of game-changing moment for you, something that happened in college that changed your view of the world? Uh, whether it had to do something that you learned in college or an experience that you had. Selling weed, um, something like that. <laughs> not, not specifically what I was going for, but if that's it, that's fine. And, <laughs> something, you know, something. something. No, but I mean, it, 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 you're looking back and saying, okay, that moment impacted my worldview or my trajectory. 
So I have a really deep answer, and then I have a really sort of like not superficial but less deep answer. Which I is love the answer. that. Which one? No. Both. Uh, both. Both. I think they're the same answer. <laughs> I, it's it's corny because I feel like I set this up, but I but me, me failing out of something, not being successful at something, really impacted me. I mean, it changed my whole trajectory. I mean, I really did think of myself as being a creative person and failing out at something being creative. And I had no aspirations of being an ad tech because it didn't exist. I had no aspirations of being a product person because I wasn't. I didn't learn to do it. I ended up graduating with a political science and art history degree. It's really useless. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. It's a perfect product person. Um, but yeah, I think that, that changed me, but, but also put me eventually on a, on a better path. Um, so there's that. And then was that the serious answer or the, no, that was the okay. last serious answer. My father passed away when I was in college. And so that definitely changed me personally. So that's a deep answer, but, but it did, it changed me personally. It was like, there was a point where everything was great, everything was cool, even though I grew up in Mount Vernon, which people now would argue is probably not the best place to grow up, but amazing place to grow up. Um, still an amazing place. Um, I would think that, and I met, oddly, I met a lot of people in this industry who I went to high school with. It's crazy that we had like five or six people that I know who ended up, not surprising because it's not far away from New York, but it definitely changed worldview. Probably pushed me at some point to go, I got to go see the world. I got to go get out of here. And that, that definitely put me on a different path. Uh, one Made more... me lose my Westchester accent, thank God. Did it? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> that was awful. I didn't, I didn't know... realize there was a I, Westchester I accent. There is. Really? Can you duplicate it? Go no, replicate? I can't. Oh. I can duplicate it on certain words. Like, I can't say the word drawer. I say it's draw. draw. Yeah, that's draw. a Connecticut thing, too, no, I think. Yeah, Westchester and Connecticut yeah. a lot. Like, I say things. I, don't, I do not say drawer. I think I do. I, I, think, I think I, I go with draw. Drawer. 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 But like a Westchester accent is kind of like a, a bastardized Bronx accent to some extent in Southern Westchester. Yeah. yeah. And we say weird things like if you go to a pizza place and you want to get a chicken parm hero or sub, you call it a wedge. Ah. That's a Westchesterism. It's a Connecticutism too. But Interesting. Yeah. Because I didn't wedge know is like yeah. lettuce. Well, you think lettuce or uh, or potato? Yeah, right, right. But you don't think of it in terms no. of a sub or a hero, but that's a Westchester thing. Or a golf club. Or that. <laughs> it's also a wedge. Uh, one more quick thing before we uh, we conclude. Um, I can't help but notice your name is Chris Hansen. And do you get the Chris Hansen from NBC thing or whatever it is uh, from time to time? Is At that this a, point, about a, once a week. So I get really? three things. Sorry to bring it up. No, it's, it's fine. Hands in the band, so obviously. I actually have to tell an anecdote. So I was okay. at the um, W in Midtown, Atlanta on Monday. Ooh, good and, rooftop pool there. Yeah, great. Uh, so <laughs> I checked in. Uh, I mobile checked in. I got to the thing. They sent me up to my room. There's somebody in my room. So I go down. I'm there's like, someone in your room. There's someone in my room. The, the one I checked in. So I go down. And I'm like, you guys are going to get me killed. This is ridiculous. And yeah. they're like, sorry, sorry. And they gave, by the way, they gave me the most Mac and Sweet. Go Marriott Starwood. You yeah, guys okay. took care of me. I mean, like, 70, bigger than my apartment. Yeah. It had a swing in it, oddly. So I go so, down the next so morning. So the honeymoon suite then. Yeah, yeah. So the honeymoon. So the, 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 and the honeymooners yeah, were in there, exactly. essentially. Yeah, they were in there in that one. Yeah. So I go down, and I check out the next morning, and the guy's like, so you're not going to believe this, because he was there that night. And he goes, the reason why we checked you in is because the guy in that room was Chris Hansen. It's his common name. 
So I get three things. I get uh, I got get it. Hanson the band Mbop. Yep. Spelled differently. I get the Hanson Brothers from the movie Slapshot, which is very okay. dated. It's obscure, but obscure. But point. a lot of people are Slapshot fans. Okay. And then I get Chris Hanson from Dateline NBC, who was filming outside of my office about a year ago for weeks on end. And on my birthday last year, one of my colleagues went down, spoke to him, and I have a video message from Chris Hansen to Chris Hansen wishing me a happy birthday. Do you really? And, I, and once a week, so cool. I will go to a store, give my credit card, check in someplace, and I get the smirk. And they're like, you're not filming this, are you? And I'm like... No. Wow. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I really think I if someone not, asked you that, I wouldn't you should, have guessed that, actually. Your, your response should be something like, uh, Thursday night at 9 o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's the sheriff from uh, whatever. Uh, we often like to invite our guests to share a final thought reflecting on this interview, on the topics that we've discussed, or just any other piece of parting, a parting shot that you might like to share. Any, anything come to mind? Uh, well, one, I appreciate you guys being here, sure. uh, number one. So great interview. I appreciate the time. Um, happy to talk about this subject. I do feel like we're in the early stages of being able to do this as an industry, but even as a company, like where there's more to be done. So yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, surprisingly gets me excited every single day I go to work. Um, <laughs> by about noon, I'm less excited, but every morning I wake up and I'm excited about yeah. the challenge ahead. So, uh, That's great. And how can people connect with you and obviously with the Ignition one? So I don't tweet. Okay. Uh, I've never tweeted. I probably won't. Um, Can't run I, for president. Yeah, exactly. Can <laughs> That's out of um, the cards. <laughs> so uh, definitely email is the best in LinkedIn. So Christopher Hansen, Christopher.com. Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, at ignition1.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'll gladly connect. All right. Well, the uh, the real Chris Hansen, thank you very, very much for uh, joining us. The head of product. The least favorite. For... The least, least famous Chris Hansen. Our favorite, though. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Head of product for Ignition One here on location at the Ignition One Summit in New York. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. It was very nice to meet you, and it was a great conversation. Thank you, guys. And that's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Uh, for my friend Pavin Ball. Shake it easy. And Mark Rako. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really do appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. This is your announcer, Peter Coleman. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.